Welcome to Career Crashers, where we tell the stories of those who are not content to wait around following rules and hoping for good things to happen. Great careers aren't found, they're forged. It's time to crash the party. All right, on this episode of Career Crashers, I'm super excited to be joined by my good friend and colleague, well, technically former colleague, but we're still going to call him a colleague, Cameron Soresby. Cameron, welcome to Career Crashers. Thanks, man. I, I think we'll, we'll be lifetime colleagues no matter what. I appreciate that. And that's probably, you probably prefer that to friend anyway, don't you? <laughs> <laughs> You're, we're two people that are, that are on an individual journey and uh, we share, <laughs> share some principles and and whatnot with each other. Well, I think it just got real. Let's, let's okay. keep it. Yeah, <laughs> okay. Let's keep it there. <laughs> so, you've got a really awesome career crash story, and there's two elements of it that um, I want to I want to talk about. Uh, the first is when I first met you, you won an internship with me. Well, you really planted the seeds for winning an internship with me uh, later, but you were in college, and I spoke at a. Uh, um, an event that you were attending is like an economics club or something like that. Yep. And I want you to just talk about what was your thinking kind of in your final semesters of college in terms of what were you trying to do to get a career and to plant seeds? Cause you seem like you were kind of savvy on building social capital. Yeah. I, I probably wouldn't have said that about myself at the time, but looking back there might, there might've been a little bit of that. Um, you know, I went through this whole like personal discovery process. I actually think a lot of people go through like during high school and college had a lot of anxiety around like thinking through what do I want to do professionally long term? And I I had anxiety over that because I felt like I didn't have a ton of experience, so it was really hard to like picture myself in different roles pretty much from the ages of like four to 14, I just assumed I was going to be a professional soccer player. So I didn't have to worry about any of this. <laughs> um, but, you know, as I started getting later in high school and then this carried through in college, I was, you know, struggling with that. And I think probably with two years left in college, I just told myself like, all right, screw thinking about what I want to do five years from now, 10 years from now and try to plan it out. I really committed to just pursuing my personal interests as much as possible um, and figuring out how can I get experience in those. And that, that led me to getting involved in different student clubs that led me to um, kind of studying different topics like economics on my own outside the classroom. And I kind of started treating college as like, all right, like, I'm going to finish it, but I'm not going to focus on like getting the best grades that I can or making sure I have a mate, you know, the specific major that would be most valuable or like working extra hard to get a double major. Um, I really focus on putting, putting my energy into more professional opportunities that were interesting to me at the time. Yeah, I remember when I spoke at that uh, event, you, you came up afterwards, you introduced yourself. I think you even had a adorable little business card no <laughs> well i'm gonna blame sfl for that one they uh 
they had all their campus coordinators get uh, get business cards. So, so you were a part of the student extra group, official. Yeah. yeah, that was kind of like right around. That was right near the end of the business card era. Like there was maybe a couple yeah. more years where they were a thing. I remember when I first started practice, I like ordered a stack of them and then I never made it through that stack. And then I was like, why did I <laughs> order business cards? I haven't used them in, in five yeah. years. But, but you had a card, ordered, you had a, yeah. you know, you, you came up and you introduced yourself and, you know, you said, hey, I'm going to uh, do this internship in Washington, D.C. this summer. But when I get back to Charleston, uh, I'd love to to connect and grab lunch and talk about stuff. And I'm like, cool, great. And just that you took the initiative to plant that seed ahead of time, I thought was great. But, you know, we got lunch, we chatted. You ended up interning for me. Uh, but that's not like the super amazing, interesting part of the story. You did a, you did a great job. You were a good intern. Um, but when I first got the idea for Praxis, I told you about it because we were working together at the time. And you were like, this is awesome. I want to be a part of this. I want in. Once I actually got it off the ground, you know, you were graduating college and you were on the market. You, you wanted to go get a full-time job. You needed a job to be able to sustain yourself. And I'm like, I, I was not even yet paying myself at first. And then I started to pay myself a little bit. And I had like, you know, a couple of people volunteering and you had done some stuff. You had done some volunteer stuff for practice, but I'm like, I can't, mm-hmm. I can't afford to hire you. And you did something really, really interesting. Uh, in order to get a spot on with a with a startup that you were excited about and that couldn't afford to hire you, you became a customer first. Tell me, tell yeah. me a little bit about that. Yeah, um, you know it's it's interesting when when you first told me about Praxis, like it immediately resonated with me. Um, I was all like, I was dissatisfied. I was never satisfied with education and like sitting in a classroom. And there was a couple times in college where I almost got fed up enough to just drop out and had some like uh, job opportunities I could pursue, but didn't do it. So at that time, I was just super, super excited about Praxis, just like as as a fan, like rooting you on. Um, thought it was really cool. I I had in the back of my head, I'm like, hmm, like that would definitely be something I would be interested in in working on if the opportunity presented itself. I, I think I had enough awareness to be like, you know, Isaac's clearly not in the position to be hiring people. This company doesn't exist yet. And when it does, like, you know, he's not going to be hiring people just quite yet. You're bootstrapping it. So I did it for two reasons. I, I was genuinely interested in participating in the program and I was really excited about it. This is like the first time I was actually excited about like, doing a, an education or training program, like really for the first time. And, but I had in the back of my head, I'm like, all right, what I asked myself the question, like, how can I be most valuable to Praxis right now? And what Praxis needed more than anything was paying customers. So that's what I did. Yeah. I, I mean, I'll never forget at that time. And, and you and I might've even talked about it. I'm, I'm trying to remember. I'm, at this point, it's it's slipped into myth and legend, so we kind of yeah, get to yeah. tell the story however we want to. Yep. <laughs> but I think either you had said, "Hey, I want to be a part of this team. I know you can't hire me right now. What's the most valuable thing I could do to help?" Or I had said to you, "Hey, man, I want to hire you at some point. I can't now, but what if you were a customer?" I can't remember how it went, but we chatted about it at some point, and yep. 
if I remember, you, I think I gave you like a secret backroom deal of discounted tuition. Uh, yep. But yeah, because it was like, look, we're launching, we're bootstrapping out of nowhere. No one's ever heard of us. We're trying to you know, prove credibility that this program is valuable and works. We just need customers. And we had six people in that first class. We just need a few people to go through and to prove that it's valuable and to be those case studies. And you were interested, you were eager, you wanted to know more, you were early in your career. And so you fit within the target customer demographic. But I just thought that was such an interesting approach that I haven't really seen other people do when there's a company or especially if it's a really early startup and they just can't hire you yet for whatever reason. You're not ready. They're not ready. They can't afford it, whatever. The idea of becoming a customer first is such a cool concept that's going to give you so much more ability. I mean, you'll know the product better inside and out. You'll be able to give feedback. You'll be able to understand what might be valuable to do on a volunteer basis if you want to, to, to prove your value to them. If down the road, you know, you can pitch them again or they're able to hire you, you'll have so much more insight and connection to the right. product. Um, now, obviously, with a high-intensity, higher-cost product like a, like a boot camp, you know, it works on a, on a whole different level. But I think that's just such an interesting way to think of it. Most people think of, you know, they wouldn't think of a, a purchasing a product from a company they want to work for as a career investment. But I think that's exactly, you know, what it was for you. It was more than that. But that, I thought that was just such, a, such a, great, um, a great way to approach it. I mean, when you did that, I was like, I was already a big fan of yours, but I was like, all right, soon as we're able, we got to get this guy on the team. Yeah it really did pay off and it was an investment um that going through the program using the product it allowed me to one like just understand the product at a much deeper level than i would be able to if if i was like hey just like volunteering and offering to to help out with you know various tasks from time to time um i think the most valuable aspect of it was that allowed me to build relationships with with the existing so like it gave like it gave me an excuse to be talking to you and tk on a regular basis um and and i think that that more than anything is probably what made a big difference and like by the time i was graduating the program like we were pretty much ready to go with bringing me on full time and especially with a smaller early stage company, those the relationships and like just the personalities of your initial team members are probably more important than anything. So I didn't I knew you previously. We worked together. I didn't know TK at all. So going through the program allowed me allowed TK and I the opportunity to get to know each other. So it was like I was selling myself for the team before you know, that was even discussed. Yeah. I, I've seen, you know, even in, in other examples, there's such a, there's such a strong, like, you know, actions speak louder than words. Someone that says, Hey, I love your company and I want to work for you. Um, mm. who is actually already a, a user, a happy user, a power user of a product. It's, it speaks volumes. I've seen people, you know, pitch a lot of different software companies and, uh, there's always so much success when you can say, hey, I'm a huge fan and I've been a user of your product or your tool for forever. I just saw somebody, yeah. actually a Praxis participant, I think pitched Notion, um, yep. the software company, and they used Notion like as a power user and they created their whole pitch to Notion using Notion. Like, hey, I'm such an, I love your product so much. Uh, and that's just, 
that's a that's a powerful attention getter, um, and it has a lot of other benefits and insights and things. So, okay, so you get you get hired at Praxis. When you came in, I mean, now you're the CEO, right? That is like what five five years after you got hired initially. Yeah, yeah. I think so. You you became this. You, you rose quickly. It's, yeah, five years. Uh, okay. But when you came on. Did you have a game plan? Did you have a long-term plan? You know, we used to joke that you, your goal was to take over the company. Well, now you have, but <laughs> did, you, did you have a plan or was it like, hey, this is just the greatest opportunity I can see right now. I'm going to take it until further notice. Or how do you approach that in those first few years of your career? Yeah, I, I did not have a specific plan. Um, I knew joining practices, like I had a... I had a long-term approach to building Praxis because I was just so excited and passionate about what we were doing. But I didn't care if that meant, you know, I just wanted to be part of the team and be as valuable as possible. That was, that was the thought process. And I think it was, I was pretty much taking the same approach that I was taking in the last few years of college of like, all right, like I'm still just focused on pursuing the things that are most interesting to me. Um, and Praxis was kind of the next level of that. You had that, you've always had the, uh, the competitive nature that I'm sure is why you were so interested in. So, you know, at a high level in sports as a, as a kid that, Hey, here's what I'm doing. I just want to win at it. I want to be the best. I want our team to be the best. And not that you didn't have or don't have longer term goals, but there's something about like just wanting to win in the near term and not saying, well, what's, what's this going to do for me in a couple of years? I'm gonna, yeah. Like that, that just makes you so invaluable. So, okay. What do you think? Cause I mean, you've done pretty much every function in the company <laughs> prior to becoming the CEO. Uh, some of them you loved some of them uh, maybe <laughs> you didn't love so much, but you did them because they needed to be done for maybe even longer than you wanted to. What, what do you think, what do you think made you an indispensable employee over those five years? So, so that you could even be in the position to, to do something like become CEO, but even before that, I mean, you were the COO um, pretty quickly. Like, is there anything about the way you approach work that you think has made you more indispensable as a, as a team member? Yeah, I think one, you know, from the very beginning, we had a, we had a team of five pretty much when, when I started and except for yourself, I was, I was the one person on the team that didn't have a like more specialized focus. So we had someone working on marketing. We had somebody that was more focused on like the program experience, someone focused on um, building partnerships with companies. And the first year and a half, I was kind of in that utility role where I was working on pretty much all, all aspects of the company. So over that time, because of that opportunity, I was able, I probably knew more about the business than anyone else besides yourself as a CEO and founder. Um, and I think, I think I definitely had skill sets that lended myself to being in kind of that utility position. Um, but I think it was the opportunity itself that allowed me to take advantage of it. And And like my goal wasn't to be like, okay, I want to be in this position or that position or like ultimately end up with that title. Um, My goal was to learn about the 
as much as I could about the company. And, and I think I just kind of gravitate towards like, okay, like what are the pain points diagnosing those and then figuring out what is the best way for us to solve those and tackle them. And, and that's, that's where I'm probably most in my comfort zone. Yeah. You know, you're getting back to the sports analogy, your like relentless pride in the team winning it's such a great attribute that that made you willing to do whatever needed to be done. I'm thinking of, um, you remember the the 30 for 30 about the bad boys, the Detroit Pistons uh, bad oh, boys yes. team? Yeah. I can't remember if it was Mark Aguirre or Adrian Dantley. I'm getting them mixed up. But one of them, I think it might have been Aguirre, was a you know, great player, was a starter. And he like realized that Dennis Rodman was a better fit on the starting squad than him, even though he was a big star. And he he went to the coach and he's like, start Dennis instead of me better for the team and that kind of attitude that kind of mentality you know the downside is you do a lot of cruddy work you don't get to specialize sometimes you're not in your sweet spot you know like for a good while there you're just like if something's wrong I just say Cameron go figure it out go fix it Cameron you go handle the inbox for this Cameron you take over doing applications Cameron you and you just do whatever and I and I always knew I'm sure I was frustrating to you sometimes, but you didn't, you know, you, you tell me your, your honest feedback, but you didn't, you didn't tell it. You didn't complain. You would just do it. You'd figure it out. Even if it wasn't in your wheelhouse, you'd figure it out and do it because you cared more than anything about the success of the team. And the weird paradox is like by wanting the team and the company to win more than wanting you to be in the best possible position, you put yourself in the best possible position because it did allow you to get exposed to every bit of the company to build huge trust. Um, You know, with me, I could hand off just about anything to you, phone calls with business partners, with whoever presentations, anything that, you know, and so like that, that team first mentality, that's what I saw early on with you that, you know, you were, you were always willing to take a personal sacrifice in prestige or fun or easiness or whatever, even pay at times, uh, for, for, to maximize the success of the team winning. And as a result, I think you, you know, you won from that. At least I would, I would say, (laughs) (laughs) uh, yes, I did win. Thank you. Um, no, I, so relating to that just your personality or was that like a deliberate, like strategy? I, I think it's more my personality. And then as I've gotten to know myself better over the years, now I can use it more intentionally as a strategy. Um, so long, like it's interesting going back to the sports analogy. I think I am more interested in coaching or managing, like just the thought process versus mm-hmm. being in a player mindset. Mm-hmm. So that was like, that's, I think that's just how I naturally think about things. It's like, all right, what are the best pieces? How do we solve this puzzle, et cetera. And, you know, at a, at a, with a small team, I, I have, you know, I have to be one of the actual players, but I think I'm able to kind of separate those two mindsets and like kind of come out of my own, you know, get out of my as a player and be like, okay, what is the most valuable thing for me to be doing? And just kind of consider myself as one of the chess pieces on the board. And, and that's, 
like I'm pretty I'm pretty interested in what that ends up looking like for my long term career. Um, I think it's mm-hmm. I think it's been I think it's been valuable um, being in the CEO position now. Um, there's definitely been some learning curves and in, in different areas that I had to uh, get out of my you know I'm starting to get out of my comfort zone and and focus on. Um, you know, maybe like long term, I think it's going to be, you know, how can I be in that like coach position as much as possible? Yeah. Well, you know, one of the challenges, I mean, a lot of young people think that they're ideally suited for management um, just because it sounds more fun. Or like I've met some of young people like, oh, uh, I, I really want to do big picture stuff. I'm like, well, what's that? Yeah. Well, you know, like planning and managing. Like, I don't want to actually do the work. I just want to like tell people. what. They, so a lot of people think they want, but but a lot of, there are people who are genuinely gifted in that way. And you're one of those. You're genuinely good at coaching and managing. The challenge for that skill set is almost no matter how good you are at that, when you first start, you're, you can't create enough value as a manager to just be a manager. You have to be an individual contributor as well. And that can yeah. be a challenge. A lot of people don't want to do that. They feel like they're tired of grunt work, whatever. And like, I would say for most people, even if you really are good at managing people, it's going to take you like five years or something to get to a point where that's primarily what you're doing. You're going to have to at least a good chunk of what you do um, is going to have to be the individual stuff. And believe it or not, that will make you a better manager uh, down the road. Yeah. If you've been in the trenches. Um, yeah. Let me ask you a question I, about, yeah. you know, doing, being willing to do anything and, and, you know, putting team first and some of those things that we talked about that are part of your personality. Um, what do you say to somebody who says, yeah, but I'm worried. I'm, that's my personality, but I'm worried I'm just going to get exploited because I'll just say yes to everything. I'll do all the grunt work and I'll never, the, the company will benefit from me, but I'll never move up in my career. Like how, how would you answer somebody who's, who's worried about, you know, getting stuck in that, in that role and just getting taken advantage of? I think that's, that's just the wrong mindset to have with any job that, that you have and how you approach your career. Um, if, if you're thinking, if you have a tendency to be worried about like, Hey, how are people going to take advantage of me? How are people going to exploit me? One early in your career, the chances that you're valuable enough to be taken advantage of are are pretty slim, in my <laughs> yeah, opinion. Um, like, if you if you have the opportunity to just work your ass off in different areas of a company for, let's say, your first couple years, like, how is that not going to be valuable to you? If if you never grow out of that, and it's like hey, it's been five years, eight years, 10 years, and you're still doing the same things, then I'd, I don't think that's, a, that's an issue of you've been taken advantage of. I think that's an issue of you haven't figured out how to leverage your, your opportunities to, to get to where you want to be. I, I, I've never come across somebody um, who, who was in that type of position early in their career that didn't get a lot of personal growth from that and then quickly moved into like more valuable positions and everything. Like, yeah, like yeah, because great. of what you said, it's um, there's so few people that I think do it well so that if you do it, you're going to be valuable um, 
to the company. Yeah, one of the challenges if people are not super assertive, I have seen this a handful of times where if you if you really are just awesome and you'll do whatever needs to be done and you make yourself indispensable on a series of, you know, tasks or functions that are like maybe relatively low value entry level tasks or right, functions, right. but you're really good, you make yourself indispensable at those. And then you kind of wait and you're like, well, I'm really good at those. I'm waiting for them to give me a higher leverage, a higher value task. And often if you're indispensable, they'll be like, well, I don't want to lose you on this stuff. And so it's kind of on you to say, okay, I've become indispensable here. Now I know that I have sort of a baseline of security at this company because I create value for them. Now let me see if I can become indispensable at something even higher value, even higher leverage. Yeah. And let me show interest and, and take initiative on pursuing some other things and, and prove it there. And that can be a a tough yeah. step. So that that tolerance of hey, I'm willing to do a bunch of grunt work in different areas for the for the benefit of the team. I think I think you're right. It has to be paired with the ability to identify like opportunities for growth on your own. Yeah. Yeah, seeing seeing and just being curious and asking about stuff. Sometimes I've been amazed at how rare it is for employees to ask questions about other aspects of the company outside of their job you know, to ask other department heads or other, you know, how does this work? How does this work? What is the struggle here? How do we do this part? And that kind of curiosity is usually a first step to, to that leveling up. So I'm going to, I'm going to let you finish with um, giving a little pitch about Praxis. I mean, I think many, many career crashers listeners probably know um, I started Praxis in 2013 and, and Cameron, as we mentioned, came on pretty early on as well. And then started Crash in late 2018. And Cameron actually left Praxis to come to Crash for uh, a year and then went back to run Praxis because it was not working with me trying to um, be the CEO of two <laughs> companies at once. Uh, <laughs> unfortunately, my skill level has a, a, a limit. Um, and so Cameron went back and became the CEO of Praxis and has been uh, in that position for several months now. Um, so some listeners might already know, but give us give us the Praxis spiel and uh, anything you would like to to leave career crash listeners with. Sure. So Praxis, it's it's a startup career bootcamp, and what we're building is a world class alternative to college. Um, college just doesn't really make sense in in today's world for for more entrepreneurial, ambitious, driven people and we we help people launch their careers through the six month bootcamp that ends up in an awesome opportunity at a uh, growing startup. And then I think what's really unique about Praxis is the long term approach we're taking to, hey, we want to be supporting our participants as they get started, but also as they advance and grow into their careers. So um, we're building something really unique with the um, the community and and network aspect of of the program but it's a great fit for that entrepreneurial ambitions type as you know homeschoolers um teen business owners have been a uh, really great fits so far yeah the, the alumni network is pretty amazing to see how that gets more and more powerful every year there's some you know well over 350 people a part of it now it's like people are active year, years after doing the program. You know, it's, a, it's really cool to see and how that network uh, deepens in value. So that's a, that's, a pretty cool, um, that's a pretty cool model and approach to, to really focus on that, uh, 
the long-term value. So Cameron, thank you so much for coming on. Is uh, anywhere people should check you out, Twitter or, or what whatnot? Check out Praxis at discoverpraxis.com and you can find me, uh, I'm mostly active on Twitter at Cameron Sorsby. All right, thanks so much for coming on, Cameron. Yep. Like what you hear? Go to crash.co and join the career revolution. If you want to share your own career crash story, send it directly to me at isaac at crash.co. 